This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Ah, and welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are star- stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Cagina is my technical producer, Ryan White is my live stream producer. And yes, we are live streaming on YouTube tonight. My YouTube channel is Strange Planet. And uh, we also upload shows to Rumble, Rumble rumble.com. The Rumble channel is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And I I think once we figure out how to live stream on Rumble, we'll probably move everything over there. I just got in the house, oh, maybe an hour ago here in Old Thornhill. Uh, The family and I came back from uh, Brantford to visit my mom, who is 96 and still going strong. And uh, on the way back, we got caught in a deluge. The kind of rain, well, you know what I mean, where the wipers can't keep up even at full speed. And then you get behind like a tractor trailer and all 18 wheels are throwing more water at you. And suddenly it's like... You're on board the Maid of the Mist heading into the Whirlpool at Niagara Falls. It was a little tense. Kind of some uh, white-knuckle moments there. In fact, I'm still holding on to the steering wheel. <laughs> Haven't been able to pry it out of my hands. Uh, anyway, dare I say it was biblical? Uh, I, I know, that's, uh, that's kind of uh, shop-worn. But it's true. I could have sworn I heard God in my head calling out measurements in cubits. Right. What's a cubit? I guess it's uh, not politically correct to make uh, allusions to Bill Cosby routines anymore. Anyway, uh, we're going to continue in the biblical vein for the next two hours or 90 minutes. Anyway, the book of Revelation, the most mysterious, cryptic book in the uh, the book in the Bible, the uh, the final book of the New Testament, also called the Apocalypse of John, Revelation to John or Revelation from Jesus Christ. So what is the book of Revelation trying to tell us who are the major characters. What does it say about the end times, the Antichrist, the mark of the beast? Documentary filmmaker Ali Siadatan is here for the first hour and part of the second to discuss Revelation. In fact, he has a, a new weekly series on this prophetic book of the Bible 
coming up every Thursday night, I believe, on Zoom. But he'll uh, he'll tell us more about that. The last half hour of the program, open lines. Ask me anything. Now, uh, before we get rolling, a shout out to our Star Chamber tier supporters on Patreon. Dr. Lyle E. Gross, Deep Paul, and Tim Sullivan. Thank you all from the bottom of my heart for your generous support. And all of the work I do here is possible in part because of generous supporters like you. And if you'd like to become an official donor to the program, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. And there are several donor tiers to choose from. Pick the one that's right for you. Or just give whatever you'd like. And I'm, again, truly, truly grateful for all of your support. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. The book of Revelation, as I say, the final book of the New Testament, has some of the most uh, dramatic and frightening language in the Bible. There are some pretty scary images as well. Bright red beasts with seven heads and dragons, monsters and cosmic eruptions. There are seven plagues and bowls of wrath, seven seals and seven trumpets, the whore of Babylon and the battle of Armageddon. What does it all mean? Alicia Adetan is the founder of Think Again Productions in Canada, a multimedia teaching ministry shedding light on mysteries and treasures of scriptural knowledge, which is making the Bible more real than ever. Ali has found evidence, keeps agreeing with the Bible's tale from biblical cities peering through the sand to alien abductions and prophetic events. Ali, welcome back. How are you, buddy? Hello, Richard. Very good. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. First of all, let's get the, the details here on the uh, the Zoom series you're doing on Revelation. It's every Thursday starting next week, I believe. Yes, uh, it's it's easy to remember. It starts on October 7th for seven weeks, and it's 70 minutes a series uh, and a session. And starts this Thursday night. People are interested they will email me through the website thinkagainproductions.com and I'll gladly send them the Zoom link. It's free. We just ask for a donation. Uh, you know, hopefully the person comes and really loves it and says, "Wow, this was had a lot of value for me," and then can donate then. Um, and yes, you're saying that the Book of Revelation has a heptatic nature. It's it's a lot of sevens. And so this is this my study is kind of you know, oh yeah, I see October seventh and seventeen minutes all seven and seven weeks that's the duration of it it goes till November eighteenth. All right, so it is very cryptic. Uh, yes, it is for us, but I guess for the the people who lived in the the first century A.D. Who were familiar with, I guess, what they call apocalyptic lich literature? All, a lot of this, these metaphors and symbolism would have been, would have been more apparent to to, to those readers. Is that correct? Uh, they, I mean, yeah. I mean, there might be a truth to that perspective. Um, the basically, there's eight hundred. There's four hundred verses in the Book of Revelation, and eight hundred references to the Old Testament. So it's 400 verses and 800 references to the Old Testament. So 
it heavily, heavily draws from virtually all the books of the Bible. People often say, oh, it draws from the book of Daniel, for instance, uh, or from Isaiah. Um, but actually, really, it draws from virtually every single book of the Old Testament. And once you kind of factor that in uh, and trace back all the reference points, uh, already that exercise alone makes it a little bit less cryptic because, you know, it is drawing from books that we are already familiar with using metaphors that have already been established. Um, so that alone, but, you know, it will still remain cryptic in the sense that I'm not even sure this book is meant to be completely to be understood ever. Uh, perhaps it's a testimony of God's foreknowledge and command um, over over the creation that he declares things before they occur. And yes, it is a book to bless us and to guide us. And I think it's partly uh, the reason it blesses us is because it takes us in all these books of the Bible. <laughs> That's what something uh, uh, an old uh, Bible scholar uh, used to say. His name was Chuck Missler. He used yes. to say, you know, the, the book of Revelation blesses us because it takes us to, to through the entire scripture to understand it. Um, so, you know, even with all of that, it will remain a little bit cryptic. Um, uh, I think as we go deeper into the apocalypse, then God may continue to reveal and open this book up to us. The reason, for instance, I'm running this series is because we've all noticed that there's essentially an explosion of interest and demand from people wanting to dive into this book. Right. And I think also for, for people who aren't Christians or who are nominal Christians, I think it's still a significant book because there are all sorts of cultural allusions uh, to to Revelation. So I think people yes. can appreciate it at that level. But let's start with some basic info here. So I mentioned first century, but when do we know specifically when it was written? So, for example, how long after uh, the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, uh, where was it written and by whom do we think? Um, yeah, so... Uh if we kind of were to just accept everything at face value, the book of Revelation starts by telling us that the author is John, um, who was one of the disciples, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. Uh, his Hebrew name is Yohanan, and it means that God is grace. Um, he was he lived in, in, uh, in Capernaum or, uh, you know, who was a fisherman in Galilee. But, you know, he also seems like a very well-connected dude because uh, when Jesus has been arrested, he gets to go in because it says in the Gospels that he knew the high priest. Well, how did he know the high priest and how could he go in? Uh, it also says that um, it's the only Gospel that records the interaction with Nicodemus, who was a member of the a leading uh, religious council that led Israel, the Sanhedrin, and again, that points to the fact that he may have been in the room uh, when that conversation was happening with Jesus. So, he, he must have been from some priestly pedigree, even when they ran to the tomb at the resurrection. You know, he got there before Peter, but he didn't go in. If he was a Kohen, a priest, then he could not have any contact with the dead. Um, and so, you know, the, um, you know, yes, we say he was a fisherman from Galilee. I remember being in, 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 in the city of Capernaum or in that little archaeological site of Capernaum in the north uh, of Israel uh, and around the Sea of Galilee. And after the um, Romans destroyed Jerusalem, a lot of the Judeans moved north and they 
re-renovated the synagogue of Capernaum where you know Jesus had been teaching. Uh, you can still see the foundation of the synagogue where Jesus had been teaching, but on top of that foundation, they built a more glorious you know synagogue. And there's a pillar there that has some of the names of the donors who donated money to the building of of the new synagogue. And the Zebedee family is mentioned on that pillar as one of the donors, and that was the you know the the last name, if you will, of John. Uh, he was the son of Zebedee. So it seems that his family was living there still several two centuries afterwards, um, after the time of Jesus. Um, they had roots in that region. And what happened after he became this disciple? Well, the, the, the persecution against the Christians began because they are advocating for monotheism inside of, you know, the polytheistic Roman Empire. And one by one, they were arrested, um, killed, uh, like Paul, you know, was beheaded in, Jeru in Rome uh, in 68, I believe. Um, and uh, Peter famously was crucified upside down on the site where the Vatican is built. Um, and um, John was tortured, but ultimately he wasn't killed. He was exiled. Um, and he was exiled from the area of Asia Minor, which is like Turkey today, the Aegean Sea. Um, there were seven congregations there, and he was the bishop of these seven congregations. They each had a leader, but he was kind of the leader of the leaders. And, and then he was exiled off the coast of the Aegean Sea just to create some distance between him and this movement that he was leading, especially since that area was a very religiously sensitive area for paganism and for the Roman Empire's religions. Some of the main cults of uh, centers of worship in the entire Roman Empire were in Asia Minor and in, in Pergamum and in Virtually all the cities that that we see in the Book of Revelation um, mentioned as 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 the receivers of this book. You know, it, this book was written as a letter. Uh, so John uh, was working in, in, and and bringing people out of idolatry in a very key spiritual stronghold. That once that spiritual stronghold fell, then the wave of monotheism could now run through the empire. That's how significant it was. So he was then exiled to the island of Patmos, which is close to the to that area, uh, where we see the book of Revelation find him. An angel is sent by God, apparently, to convey this incredibly important message um, that, that the father gave to the son. So this is a communique between, you know, what Christians would call the first person of the Trinity to the second person of the Trinity. And Jesus, who's now received all authority and power and all of creation, then dispatches a messenger, a malak, and says, go, or angelus in Greek, go to Johannan, you know, this guy, the bishop of these seven congregations, exiled in the island of Patmos, and, and there tell him these things, but it's hidden in signs and symbols, it even says that at the beginning that it's put in the language of symbology in the sense that not that the book of Revelation is a book of symbols. You know, it actually is a book of prophecy. It's very clear, meaning it tells the future of the past, but it is it uses signs and symbols to communicate that. Um, and so uh, there's a cave there that tourists and pilgrims can visit today that is a man by the Greek Orthodox Church. Um, that continues to, you know, clean it and maintain it. And it was apparently in that cave 
and where John was living when this angel visited him. And the jury's out whether it was Saturday or Sunday. It says that it was in, in the day of the Lord. And so, you know, he was Jewish. He kept the Sabbath. Was it Sunday or Saturday? One of those two days um, when he was worshiping, he, he had this divine appointment. And this angel arrived and told him to write this as a letter to the seven congregations that he was shepherding in Asia Minor. So, so it ends up being a letter um, like all the other letters that are in the New Testament, except this is a letter that is written by Jesus. Seven letters are written to seven congregations. That's how the book really begins. Right. And well, so these are it also the begins Christine with a, letters. It also begins with a vision, does it not? Is I mean, does John feel as if he has been, I guess, like Enoch, in the in the in the uh, the book of Enoch, he's sort of raptured up into the throne room. Does is John similarly um, in this vision raptured into the throne room? Uh, yes, that happens in chapter four. Ah, okay, I'm uh, getting ahead of myself here. <laughs> All right. No, no, that's it. But yeah, yeah, he he meets the angel right on the island, and then and then he receives visions in his mind as the same time as he's receiving words. So he's hearing and seeing things, um, but later in chapter four, the angels has come up. Um, but uh, that comes that comes you know a few chapters in. So people don't realize that Jesus also wrote seven letters to seven congregations because they're tucked into this little book, the Book of Apocalypse. Um, um, you know, we think of the letters of Paul, the letters of Peter, the letters of Jude or John. Um, but we don't think of the letters of Jesus, but right. Jesus wrote seven letters, actually. And so seven letters to seven different seven different churches. So I guess in yeah. some letters he's admonishing the church. In other letters, he's supporting a, another church, you know, hold fast. Because at this time, essentially, the, the, the church is under siege, right? I mean, the, Rome is on the rampage. They have just leveled the second temple in Jerusalem. Uh, many Christians now have, have fled into exile, like John to Potmas um, and, and, and others. So, it, I mean, can this can Revelation be looked at almost as a war book? Yeah, uh, yeah, no, that's a great point. It was, it was technically they say it was written around ninety five A.D. Um, so all of these things, you're you're right. You know that the temple has now been destroyed. Uh, that the that the, the exile of the Jews has begun. And um, the Christians are under siege by the Romans, uh, who are now carrying out a series of persecutions against them. There'll be 10 persecutions in all, and will go all the way into the 4th century until the Edict of Tolerance by Constantine. So, so you're right, there is this feeling of, you know, what is going on, and it's really nice because the very first chapter of the book of Revelation is dedicated essentially to establishing the lordship and sovereign uh, the, the 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 lordship of Jesus that, that that essentially you know he he's driving home the point that all power has been given to him he's the alpha and he's the omega and that there's nothing to worry about there's nothing to be afraid of um because you know the kingdom of darkness is on is on is collapsing and and that all authority in heaven and earth has been passed down to him. It's a continuation of, of again, you know, as I said, the, the, it takes us into the rest of the Bible. It's a continuation of, of some of the things that started 
when he was with them. Like one day, you know, he took them up this road uh, to Caesarea Philippi, where there's all these pagan Roman temples. It was the, the center of worship for the Romans. And he stood on top of that rock and he said, you know, who do people say I am? And and then Peter said, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and Jesus pointing to, not to Peter, but to the rock, uh, to all of these pagan temples. He said, you know, upon this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of Hades won't uh, prevail against it. Um, the, the, on where those pagan temples existed in Caesarea Philippi, uh, the rock upon which he stood, at the bottom there was a water, um, it, it's a giant hole, it's still there. but Like it was a cistern. Like a cistern, this water would, would swirl and go into the ground. And you know, when you pray to the gods, you you throw your sacrifice there. And if it went down, then your prayer was accepted. If not, it wasn't. And that was called the Gates of Hades. That was the official name of that place because it was the gateway to this realm of these gods. And so Jesus, you know, proclaims the ascension of his sovereignty and the and the um, uh, the defeat of these spiritual powers that are over Rome and these other you know um, uh, kingdoms. Uh, when Paul is is on his way to Damascus in order to arrest the Jewish people who become followers of Jesus in the synagogue of Damascus, he has a vision and he receives his mission, and he and he repeats that to King Agrippa as well. Um, that that his mission is to go to the Romans. And to bring them out of darkness to light, out of the dominion of Satan to God. This is the mission that Jesus gives Paul. And so we get this idea that there's a transfer of power in the heavenlies. And now Jesus is saying basically, do not worry. I know that you live in the stronghold of idolatry, you seven congregations. But don't worry. First of all, all power has been given to me. Second of all, uh, don't let this, you know, the paganism follow you into the congregations. That's a reoccurring theme in these letters, that there was this influence. They were bringing it in with them. Their old life was kind of pouring into their new life. Okay, Ali, I got to jump and, in here because we're going to take a, a quick time out. Um, in also one of these letters, maybe when we can go, when we come back, we can touch on this. In one of these letters, he calls out one of the churches where uh, exists the throne of Satan or the altar to Zeus, which he identifies as the throne of Satan. Ali Seadatan, Think Again Products. We deep, deep dive into the book of Revelation right here on The Conspiracy Show. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Alicia Adetan stays with us. Go to thinkagainproductions.com and uh, you can contact Ali through the website thinkagainproductions.com and uh, sign up for his free uh, series, webinar, I guess happening uh, Thursday nights and uh, this is a uh, is it a, it's a seven part series on revelation yeah we're going to do all 22 chapters all right and it's uh, um, Thursday nights what time again Eastern 
7 p.m. Eastern. Of course. <laughs> October 7th, it begins 7 p.m. Eastern. And if you miss the first one, don't give up. You can, uh, you'll, uh, you'll be posting the recorded versions as well. So people can yeah. jump in at any point, right, and catch up. Absolutely. All right. And it's a free series, but uh, feel free to make a donation. Again, go to, inf- in, uh, go to uh, thinkagainproductions.com and contact Ali through the, uh, the website to sign up for the, the, uh, the webinar series. All right. So I've got kind of a blueprint here, Ali, because we have much to, to, uh, to get through, to give people just a very general sense. And then obviously in the web series, you'll be drilling down. But so we were talking about the, uh, uh, the letters to the seven churches of Asia in Revelation. Is it not in one of those letters where Jesus basically through John is, is calling out one of the, uh, the churches where is located uh, the the altar to Zeus, a.k.a. the throne of Satan? Yeah, he calls it the throne of Satan, is and uh, that it's in the city of Pergamum, he tells them. He says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Um, and, and that was a reference to the altar of Zeus, which was in that city. And he also, you know, calls out by name uh, Antipas, uh, who was then sacrificed to Zeus, the the leader of the congregation of Pergamum, uh, was was killed by the priests of Zeus and fed to the bull, the brazen bull, where he was lit up and slowly melted. Um, so, so that's fascinating. This insight that that Jesus gives us that the uh, he he creates a connection between you know Zeus and Satan, identifies removing the veil, and so now we know that the um, Greco-Roman world uh, that worshipped Zeus and Jupiter as the head of the pantheon was essentially under the influence. Uh, that was that was the realm you know of of the leader of the fallen angels. That was the territory that he had chosen himself, and that empire you know uh, hailed from him. Um, now, the, all the letters, all the cities mentioned here have a connection to the fallen angels. Ephesus, we knew, we know what happened with Paul when he was in Ephesus, that there was a whole ruckus because uh, it was bad for idol worship business, uh, what he was preaching. So, so they kind of gathered a crowd against him. It was the center of the worship of Artemis. You know, Ephesus was an important center for that. Um, another letter he writes is to Smyrna which was the center of emperor worship. They had won the permission to build a temple to Nero. Um, and uh, Theatria was a center of worship for Apollo, known as the sun god. Um, and Sardis was, was, was home to many mystery cults and religions um, and to the magnificent temple of Artemis. Um, the people worshipped Cybele uh, and they held orgies in their festivals which is kind of what we see happen at the foot of the of mount sinai right. just want to get back to the throne of uh, satan for a moment you and i have talked about this before and you were telling me how there was a german uh, archaeologist who discovered this uh, altar to, to uh, zeus in pergamon pergamon and uh, he uh, basically took the entire altar uh, back to germany where they built a museum they reconstructed it uh, inside this, the, the museum is, uh, holds the entire uh, altar to Zeus. And um, was it um, Hitler's chief architect, Albert Speer, who saw it and was um, so inspired by it that that if you see the, uh, the um, documentary Triumph of the Will, 
the the, uh, the 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 massive stage and backdrop that Hitler is standing on, and at Nuremberg is based on this altar to Zeus, this throne of Satan, right? Yeah, um, he created a large version for him, Nuremberg, because as you said, he was inspired, and and that's from where the podium uh, that he was standing on, you know, when he was declaring the. Um, final solution and and eventually the the principles that led to the Holocaust to this Shoah to this burnt offering, it, it kind of you know it's interesting where the bull was in in, in the original altar the bull that symbolized Zeus uh, where where you know this this brazen bull where Antipas was fed into he put the microphone and and so so it was interesting as though this was the the voice of 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 the, of Zeus, uh, and from there he he stood and he and he declared um, the the laws uh, the Nuremberg laws um, that led to 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 the Holocaust, um, and he said to Albert Speer, "I want you to make it like a religious ceremony, a, a Catholic mass." Um, and so Spear put all of these lights around it, and he lit them up, and they looked like pillars of light. Right. Uh, we should point out not that you know Hitler was not Catholic. <laughs> these these no, were occultists. Yes. Occultists. They, they was, were not Catholic, and but he wanted to, to liken it to a mass. He hated Christians. Hitler very clearly hated Christians. Obviously, he hated Jews, but he also hated Christians. Yeah, this was definitely an occult thing. It was hailing back to the worship of the ancient gods, the fallen angels. And so you're, it's fascinating that, as you said, this, this altar that Jesus talks about in the book of Revelation as the throne of Satan is dug up and brought to Berlin, where it is to this day, in Das Museum di Pergamum, or, or the Museum of Berlin. And Albert Speer sees it, the architect, likes it and builds a giant version of it. And they put a big Nazi symbol on top of it as well. And you, there's a footage of the Allies, you know, bombing that that symbol off. That, uh, and from there, Hitler declares the Holocaust. So, so it's it's fascinating. Right. Okay. I want to jump to uh, the um, the throne room. This is right. the um, this is the second vision in the throne throne room of heaven. And what does uh, John the Apostle see in the throne room? Well, he sees perhaps you know the priesthood. Um, of God, he 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 sees the 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 Son of God sitting there and reigning, and he sees uh, those who had been martyred, you know, come back to life, um, and he sees these living creatures that that are worshiping, uh, you know, worshiping God and worshiping the Son, uh, who to whom all power has been given. All right, is he he sees the cherubim and the seraphim and yeah yeah. That's right. He sees these angels, uh, living the four living creatures. They're called, and they each have six wings, full of eyes all around, and they do not rest day or night, chanting, "Holy, holy, holy!" Um, you know, the Lord uh, of of hosts, um, and and so they 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 they're praising the Lord day and night, um, and and he sees God sitting on his throne. Um, and he sees that uh, that those who have been martyred are receiving, uh, you know, uh, thrones as well, like smaller thrones, because there are many thrones in heaven. 
and there are 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. And there's lots of theories about, you know, who these 24 are. Uh, are they each from a different nation? Um, are they, you know, Old Testament um, um, saints such as Abraham and characters like that? And, you know, New Testament ones put together? Are they leaders of a cohort because the priesthood was divided into 24 so are these like divisions essentially of a heavenly priesthood um there's lots of theories and that's what i mean it's it's kind of an enigmatic book um right now the cherubim the the cherubim there was there was it the cherubim who guarded the throne these were like you know almost like the uh, the secret service right they guarded the the throne was it the, the cherubim or the seraphim that guarded the throne um, well, here it would be the seraphim because they have six wings. The seraphim, all right. Um, and uh, and and you're right. Like these are very high-ranking angels. They they stand around the throne of God, so so they're very intimate to God. And Satan himself was the leader of the cherubim. So Satan himself was a very high-ranking, um, you know, angel, very close to God. Interesting. All right. Um, we're just about rolling into a break here. But when we come back, let's talk about the seven seals and the seven trumpets. What is okay. that all about? The seven seals and the seven trumpets. We'll get into uh, the cosmic war, the beasts, the seven plagues, the seven bowls of wrath, the battle of Armageddon. We'll squeeze in as much as we can. Ali Siadatan, thinkagainproductions.com. Don't forget, go to the website, reach out to Ali through the website, and uh, sign up for his seven-week series every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern uh, as he takes a deep dive into the book of Revelation. Back with more of my conversation with Ali right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. All right, get your questions and comments ready uh, on the phone lines. Uh, and we, you just heard the numbers roll out there. But also, if you're in the YouTube live chat, get your questions and comments. And my live streamer, live stream producer, rather, uh, Ryan, We'll uh, curate those and pass those along to me, and we'll, uh, we'll get those out. But we'll uh, we'll we'll hold on to those until the uh, the second hour. Alicia Aditan stays with us. Thinkagainproductions.com uh, as we take a deep dive into the Book of Revelation. Well, not so deep. I mean, it's pretty hard to do in an hour. But uh, he'll he'll get into more detail during his uh, seven part web series webinar series beginning next Thursday at seven thinkagainproductions.com to sign up. All right, so uh, the seven seals and the seven trumpets. What are, What is this all about, Ali? It's about judgment. It really kind of takes us back to the story of Exodus, where God arrives to deliver his people, and before that, uh, there's a war with Pharaoh. 
and and that really is kind of where we get a lot of the the um, the characters um, that feed into the Book of Revelation. You know, there is um, the Pharaoh is the representative of this world leader, um, and and there's going to be you know uh, seven empires that challenge you know the covenant that God makes with Israel. Um, there's Egypt, there's Assyria, there's Babylon, uh, there's Persia, there's the uh, the Greeks, the Romans, and the Seventh Empire we are waiting for. It. And that's kind of, you know, there's going to be another pharaoh, and um, there's going to be the spiritual forces that were behind the pharaoh, the gods of Egypt. There's going to be spiritual forces behind this guy as well. It says in the book of Revelation that the dragon, which is the symbol of Satan, gives him all power and authority. And and this is something we see also, you know, in the temptations of Jesus, where Satan says to Jesus, if you worship me, I'll give you all the empires of the world that are under my command. You can have Israel and I'll give you the empires. You just have to switch to my side. And Jesus says, it's written, only worship God. So I think the seven seals and the seven trumpets are telling us about judgments that like the ones that fell on the Pharaoh of Egypt long ago, that led to the deliverance of the people of God, these things are going to fall on this empire, uh, this final empire. Now, there are two theories. One is that these things have been happening over the past 2,000 years. Some of these things have been happening. Others, I believe that you know, it all begins with the first seal, which is the white horse, um, you know, the four, four horsemen of the apocalypse. The white horse is the one that comes where, bearing a bow and a crown, and the crown that's given to him is different from the crown that's given to the people of God. It, it's it, You have to look at it in the Greek, and there's two different words. This is more like the crown of Caesar. It's that kind of a crown. And, you know, God comes with a sword, but this guy comes with a bow. So, so again, he's more like a conqueror. And so people say, ah, really the apocalypse begins with the opening of the first seal and with the rise of the Antichrist. And he's represented, he's the first horseman of the apocalypse. And then, he, even though he promises to bring goodness, but what will follow him are the series of, you know, six seals and seven trumpets. These judgments actually will come to uh, descend upon his kingdom and his empire and his world. Okay, it so are the tr- uh, excuse me, Ali, are the trumpets like a countdown clock? Like once the seventh and final trumpet sounds, right. that's, that sets the end times into, uh, into motion? Well, uh, well, I mean, it depends where you want to start the clock. Technically, the end times in the book of Revelation, it begins with the rise of the first rider, the first horseman, um, who who many people see as the Antichrist himself. You know, um, others will see the horseman as more of a symbol of a trend. You know, that's something. There's kings, there there's conquerors, there's empires, that kind of thing. But if you really see the book of Revelation as talking about a very specific future time, above all, it's talking about a time that's ahead of us, then yes, the horseman becomes this, you know, this character. Um, so then it, there's a series of judgments. There's seven seals. The first one is the, is the uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the white horseman. Um, and then there's seven trumpets. So these are all a series of judgments, locusts and hail and things that sound a lot like 
um, what we saw in the story of Exodus over the fair of Egypt before, you know, he let go of the people of God. Uh, so, you know, there are specific things given to us, like the sixth trumpet uh, tells us that the great Euphrates River, uh, you know, uh, will dry out so that, that these armies can come through. And it's interesting that the river Euphrates, which was a mighty river, very wide, has dried up. Um, they, the, um, the, the, the people who live in Syria, they built a dam at the foot of the Euphrates, where it begins. Uh, that really helped drying it out. That's a very, very huge dam. And then um, Saddam Hussein wanted to punish the Shia that lived in the south of Iraq so that they could not have water for their marshlands. And so he also deflected the river Euphrates and dam it. And then so that also helped dry it. Right. But the prophecy is coming true. And it says that then there'll be this army that marches over and the number given is 200 million mounted troops. And well, only China can you know have an army that big right. so people go oh wow look the armies of the east coming over the euphrates that and 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 so they look at china they look at the river and this is kind of how we we, we try to understand the book when doesn't one of the trumpets is the seventh trumpet the one that mentions wormwood and some have suggested that that was chernobyl because it talks about um like po the um three quarters of the the waters will be poisoned, yeah. and, and they yeah. think that it has to do with Chernobyl, which is what Chernobyl means wormwood, doesn't it? It does, actually. Um, and it's the third trumpet. Um, huh. And uh, it's a great star called wormwood that falls to the earth. Um, even though, you know, Chernobyl, what did poison the waters all the way into, into Switzerland and Europe and you know, a deer in Switzerland were dying uh, because of they were eating strawberries uh, from the ground that now had been contaminated by this water. But it's not a star that fell into the ground. Um, there's a new book that Tom Horn has written, and he's dug up this asteroid that's on its way to the Earth. Apophis. Yes, and, and it's supposed to hit in 2029. And he says he thinks that's Wormwood, but it I agree with him that it does seem to point to a star falling to the earth. So this could be an asteroid strike for sure. And and just, just so that we have the time to make this point, I think it's very important. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news because if I were to look at the book of Apocalypse from a bird's eye view, Apocalypse means unveiling. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. The, the, the good news of Jesus does not end at the cross. In fact, the the first and second coming put together form what is called the gospel, the good news. He doesn't just save people's souls and then live in an eternal heavenly kingdom that you know believers go to. He returns to heal the earth completely physically. Okay, I got to jump in because we have to take a break. We'll uh, pick up on that point when we come back. Alicia Adetan stays with us. The Book of Revelation, right here on the Conspiracy Show. Back with more in a moment. My name is Richard Serrett. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. 
To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, we are back with Ali Siadatan, thinkagainproductions.com. We were talking about the uh, the seven seals, seven trumpets. Um, let me see, where did we want to go after that? Um, we talked about Wormwood and whether or not that's uh, the uh, the asteroid Apophis, which is the Egyptian god of chaos, which is supposed to come in April of 2029. Uh, or could Wormwood be Chernobyl, as some have suggested? Um, what about the pandemic? Does that, that we're currently undergoing, does that, do you think fit in is that uh, one of the horsemen uh what are your thoughts ali uh yeah yeah that's a good question it's i think it's in all, on all of our minds um so yes it, one of the horsemen the pale horse the fourth horse and death and hades um uh, you know is is that really plague uh uh, he was. It was given uh, power to take the fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, death, and the beasts of the earth. Well, you know, not really. The, it's not really doing that. Um, where does this pandemic fit? In you know, definitely plagues are mentioned throughout the Bible as an instrument of judgment by God. So some people will say, look, this is this is one of God's judgments. It's what is judgment? The purpose of judgment is to bring people attention back to God, um, that God is good, that God has a plan for humanity, but he's given us free will. And there's also these, you know, other beings in the universe. They're physical beings like us. They live in the in the physical universe. And yes, more than beyond, maybe there's other dimensions and all of these things. Great. But we're all together in a big story and we have free will and evil is real. And so these guys have, have gone with Satan. One third of them has. And we have the choice to go to the dark side. And that leads to judgment and ultimately death and destruction. Or we can turn to God, and God has a plan of redemption and restoration and a blessing. So so in that sense, the plagues are seen as an instrument of judgment, and they're mentioned in the book of Revelation. Now, is this very specific plague the fulfillment of you know a particular passage? I don't know. Um, um, the general theme is that there's something dark rising on the earth. Um, God then, you know, is going to bring judgment on this and destroy it and rid us, rid the world of this darkness and then free and redeem the people who've trusted in him and who belong to him and the people that, that, that are kind of in the midst of all of this and they don't really pick a side, they survive the apocalypse, they do make it into his kingdom. They just don't get at this point um, the eternal body um, that, that he promises his disciples, okay. his followers. What, what about the, the, the idea that th- this plague or other plagues or other pandemics uh, and the associated, you know, clampdowns on civil liberties and vaccine passports and, and our, you know, the use of AI and the Great Reset uh, is all playing into the Antichrist system. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, um, in so the the plague itself is mentioned in Revelation six. 
it is part of you know the four horsemen of the apocalypse and these are given power over a fourth of the earth um and so you know this is kind of that would be 1.9 billion people currently um so it, has the pandemic done that i don't I'm not sure no for sure it hasn't um but it has created this global response it has created this idea of a digital um identity system through the vaccination program there is a there is um a verse in revelation 18 that talks about how the world has been deceived by uh, the by pharma pharmakeia uh, by sorcery that but the greek because you know we have the book of revelation in greek and the word used is pharmakeia uh which is attributed to a fallen angel who, uh, before the flood is the founder of this notorious you know uh, body of knowledge not that there's anything wrong with with pharmaceuticals or the herbs of the earth for our health but but it seems that it's part of the whole idea of eugenics and that sometimes it can be used by the dark side um the so the empire uh, there's going to be a final empire there's no doubt about that the bible is very clear all over the place that there's going to be a final empire and a final emperor and we haven't seen that for a while since the rise of the republics and the fall of rome we've seen the different heads of rome each go go take a try at it whether it's charlemagne napoleon you know the british um this, but but today we may see all these different heads uh, from Moscow to DC come together uh, in a coalition and and eventually have a leader. Um, and this will be an empire that ha has AI and has digital uh, identity. And so since the Bible takes us to this extreme point of view, um, we can now surmise the stepping stones. And so we see that this pandemic has definitely created a lot of stepping stones for the infrastructure of such a thing to be built and eventually this thing is seen as 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 as, as a plague that's removed by god and i'm not just COVID, but this emperor and this empire right. is a plague over the human race that god comes and destroys and removes and restores health to the earth okay my, uh, my uh and so the vaccine and the vaccine passport and i, I think people know my views on the vaccine passport um I, you know i i, I just think it's uh, unethical and probably illegal and, and all of that. But that's we'll park that for now. But the idea that for, that some people think that somehow this is the mark of the beast, you can't have the mark of the beast until you have the arrival of the Antichrist, right? Which hasn't happened. So therefore, exactly. the vaccine and the vaccine passport cannot be the mark of the beast. Exactly. That's that's I, I would agree to that. Um, that it's that it's more like the building of infrastructure. It's the first time we, we're all told that we all have to globally get behind something. Every nation is affected by it. Um, we are told that you know we should take this mass vaccination program, and that we should you know sign into a digital system of identity that allows us to travel and cross borders. So I I see that a, it's like a dry run. A lot of um, you know, infrastructure is being put into place that can be used for more global uh, rulership. And also, I found it very interesting that if there is an, a theme here that God is preparing his people for the mark of the beast, that really you get the feeling that if you don't take the vaccine, that you're punished. If you don't take this particular digital you know, identity that comes with the vaccine, you're punished. And so the mark of the beast also has that feeling. It says that if you don't take it, you can't buy, sell or do commerce. So thinking forward, I thought, well, what are they going to do to us when we don't take the mark because we really can't take that one. 
uh, it will 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 probably take us and put us in some sort of a camp where they feed us and and you know shelter us. We'll, we'll be we'll somehow will appear on the wrong side of 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 the collective reality, and and since we won't be able to function, then then I guess they'll have to take us to some sort of a concentration camp and take care of us. This is just a, a theory. I don't know what's going to happen, but. I see that there are overlaps, and I see that there's uh, infrastructure being put to place, uh, but it's not exactly the mark of the beast, like you said. It has All to right. be instituted by the Antichrist. Okay, just have about two minutes here before we roll into the second hour. AZ Finn on the uh, YouTube live chat asks, how many seals have been opened and how many trumpets have been blown to date? Well, if I had the answer to that question, I'd have a best-selling book on my hand that <laughs> everyone would be reading. Um, the truth is that, ironically, these are the questions that we are all now trying to figure out. Something has changed about our attitude towards prophecy since COVID. Um, and there's a massive you know, focus on this book. And I know from experience that when something like that happens, God tends to open it up. We are about to see new things in this book, and that's why I'm inviting people to join me in this study, because as we study together, we discover together, and God meets us in the study and reveals things to us. Uh, so I don't have a concrete answer to the gentleman's question. I don't think anybody does. Uh, but it, I think that we're, we're going to start, you know, getting into these things uh, as we go forward. I think God is okay. drawing our spirit into it. All right. We'll uh, take a time out. Come back. Ali Siadatan. Think Again Productions will stay with us into hour two, at least to the bottom of the hour. We'll talk about uh, the cosmic war, the beasts, and uh, the battle of Armageddon. Also, who is the whore of Babylon? All that awaits on the other side. Stay with us. Hour two of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to everyone listening in on our flagship station, 740 on the amplitude modulation band and 96.1 
96.3, sorry, on the uh, frequency modulation band, Zuma Radio here in Toronto. Uh, and uh, hey there to each of you tuning us in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And hi to those of you streaming us live on the zoomerradio.ca website and on the fabulous and free Zoomer Radio app. Howdy uh, to those of you streaming us live on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. And of course, how do uh, to those of you gathered in the YouTube live chat. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes. And I thank you for your fine company. Ali Siadatan from Think Again Productions is here for the next half hour to uh, discuss the book of Revelation, <clears throat> a.k.a. the Apocalypse of John. And then the last half hour, uh, open lines. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. So, um, the cosmic war. What is the cosmic war and the three great signs in heaven that's mentioned in Revelation, Ali? Um, yes. So, the cosmic war um, that the Bible describes really begins in the Garden of Eden, uh, where Satan uh, decides to you know, challenge uh, the role of humanity uh, in the cosmic order uh, that the Adam is created to bring the instructions of God to the creation, to represent God over the angels, uh, and to rule them. Um, but um, Satan does not want to accept that, and so he challenges Adam by tricking him to do something that would uh, condemn him to God to death, in, in according to God's own laws, in a way like he does with the story of Job, he's essentially challenging the worthiness of Job and the worthiness of Adam, the worthiness of man to have this incredible destiny. And as God is not pleased by this, and he begin, God begins a series of judgments uh, over Adam and Eve, but also over Satan, and, and that um, plunges us into a cosmic war because Satan and his angels don't just bow out at that point. They dig their heels into the ground. They have authority. They have rulership over the fallen world. They have a place still in the universe. And they seem to be very bent on fighting to prolong and maintain that uh, authority as long as they can. And what's going to end it is the Messiah, not only, you know, the work on the cross, which is absolutely crucial, like it says in, in the letter that John wrote, that it is to undo the works of the devil, but also the second coming uh, where, you know, Jesus goes to heaven and there are two thrones in heaven, the throne of the Father and the throne of the Son. He receives all authority over all kindred tongues and nations. And then he sits at the right hand of God, it says in the scripture, until God makes a footstool for his enemies. And then a time not known to anyone but the Father himself, suddenly the Son and his armies are returned to the earth to arrest Satan, arrest these angels, destroy the final empire and the emperor, and bring in the Messianic kingdom, an era of peace and prosperity and, and health and, and, and life like we have never known in, in all of history. It's the Sabbath of history. And that's where the book of Revelation ultimately takes us. And um, there are three signs, three great signs in heaven. What do they signify? Um, so the, they signify different things. Uh uh, what exactly they mean. I mean, you're, you're asking me very precise questions and, you know, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Um, 
they appear in the context of a woman. Is that the one that you know? You're is that the sign you're referring to? Um, the they 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 appear uh, around a woman. Um, is, is is that the context? You're well, there, there is a there is a, a section in Revelation called the three great signs in heaven. Right. That. Um, before, I guess... It, the sixth seal, yes. Oh, that's the sixth seal, ah. Yeah, there okay. was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth, as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. So going back to the book of Genesis, we are told that God will use the sun and, and the moon as signaling systems. We're told that in the fourth day of creation, where the sun, the moon, the stars, and the earth are put in some sort of an electromagnetic, you know, rotation, orbital, you know, relationship. Not, not only is it for marking the calendar, God explains that, but also as a signaling system. So when there's, for instance, you know, an eclipse of the sun and the moon becomes uh, red like blood, and if it falls on one of the appointed days of God's calendar, then it means something. And, and we, we do see that, in fact, when that alignment occurs, historical events of great importance happen. Some of the rabbis uh, saw the sun as being something th that is for the Gentiles. It's a sign that something is going to happen to the Gentile world and the moon to the Jewish world. We see when the Lord is crucified that there was an eclipse of the sun. And so, again, that kind of points to that. Earthquakes are always a sign of judgment, that God's judgment over something dark and evil is arriving. Uh, like even at the second coming on the Mount of Olives, when, when the Lord lands, it says in the scroll of Zechariah, there's an earthquake and the Mount of Olives splits into two. So, and there's a fault line that goes from Jerusalem to Kenya. So earthquake is a sign of judgment, sun and, and moon changing colors and becoming like black, like sackcloth. So that's an eclipse of the sun or the moon becoming red. These are pointing to the fact that God is signaling a change in the seasons and times, like the kings of the earth are going to be removed and a new king is going to be installed. Stars are a different matter. Stars are an idiom for angels in the Bible. So we see that um, um, it, it's, it's a re recurring motif. So the fact that the stars of heaven fall to the earth, yes, it could be talking about actually like asteroids and things like that, but actually... There are passages in the book of Daniel, for instance, that talk about how the Antichrist will speak against the inhabitants of heaven and will even make the stars fall on the ground, which is an idiom for angels. So this I would see more as the War of Angels. Uh, even some people would connect the War of Angels to the UFO phenomenon. And so you could you could possibly see some some UFOs being shot down. Um, and, and brought into the ground, and, and that could be where the stars uh, symbology takes us into the world of angels. All right, let's talk about some of the magnificent and frightening beasts, the red dragon. Uh, the red dragon is deciphered for us in, in that passage uh, where we are told it's Satan, the ancient serpent. So the book of Revelation, you know, deciphers that one for us. And there's also uh, a, a beast that comes out of the sea. Is that also is that is the location significant where the, this beast emerges? Uh, yes, um, everything is important. So, what does the sea represent? And then there's the beast that comes from the earth. 
um, what is the what does the earth represent? These become endless questions uh, where that you know people start to 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 interpret and study. And one person will say it means oh talasa, that's the Greek word for sea, and that means peoples and nations. So it comes out of democracies because the sea usually represents peoples um, in, in in the symbology of the Bible. So oh, he he emerges out of the democracies. That's fine. I, um, another way of looking at it, which is what I what I would bring to the table, is that the sea was under the ju- the rule of you know let's say Neptune, for instance. You know the uh, there was a, there was a, a fallen angel that had authority over the waters, and um, you know so nations that did well in the sea, like the English, the British. You know they were nations that had command of the sea, um, and then. The Romans, for instance, were were really landlubbers. Like they hated the sea; they were not naval people. They were very well known for having a weak navy, and they were really an earth power. Um, so when you look at, for instance, Apollo, the sun god, um, and who's you know the, the who's symbolized by the sun. Well, in the ancient writings where he was called Shams in Mesopotamia, the sun god, the sun and the earth are always put into symbiosis, the way that the moon and the and and the waters are. So so kind of the moon god. And and the Lord of the waters, the sun god, and the Lord of the earth. So these could actually be realms and boundaries of the power of principalities. So you've got two different principalities from which these characters emerge. That's another way of looking at it. Uh, MG in the live chat asks, uh, well, MG has a question about thrones. How many? Yeah. I think you mentioned this. How many thrones are there in heaven, and what is the source? Uh, the source is Daniel chapter 7, um, I think it's verse 14 around there, where there's a prophecy uh, from the prophet Daniel about the Son of Man ascending to the ancient of days. And Jesus often referred to that prophecy when speaking of himself, identifying himself as being that Son of Man that Daniel is pointing to. And then the Son of Man ascends to the ancient of days, which is God. And there we are told we are given the word thrones in plural. And so we know that the, in heaven there are thrones. Now, we know there's the Father's throne, God. Then the Son receives a throne. So that's two thrones. Then he comes to the earth and assumes the throne of King David. And that's the 1,000-year rule of Christ. And yes, it is a literal 1,000-year rule. It is a different throne. And this throne of King David is the one he assumes the only legitimate government that heaven recognizes on earth is the throne of King David. And Jesus is going to inherit that. And then there is these elders who have thrones, who have crowns, and they place it at the foot of uh, God. And so we are told when he returns, he's going to give also thrones and crowns to his faithful that, that you know, those who have believed in him from the different nations will, will serve him in, in a place of, of, of leadership. But in the Bible, leadership always means servitude. So the whole concept actually in the Bible is summarized with the word Elohim, which is a plural word, which has been, it means God, it means gods, but it really means authority and power. And the idea is that God is the leader of all the systems of authority and power uh, in the in the world of angels, in the world of man. The kings of the earth are are, are chosen 
written by him, their time of rule is set by him. And even in families, you know, if, if you look at the, the, the kind of the traditional uh, uh, idea of, of a man, of a father in a family, that that authority is also given to him by God. So he must run his family according to God and, and with humility and service to his wife and children. And so God is the leader of all these thrones. But exactly how many are in heaven? For sure, I can say two, the throne of the Father and the throne of the Son. Beyond that, angels, men, well, I don't really have the precise numbers for all of them. Okay. Um, the the beast that emerges from the sea, that's the one that has, is it seven heads? And right. some of those heads have like ten horns? Right. So the seven heads are um, seven kings and they're also seven empires, right? Um, like, as I said, one way that people look at it is is when God calls Abraham out and has a, signs a covenant with him or, you know, establishes a covenant with him, which is basically the basis of the work of God on earth to establish the Abrahamic covenant. Um, Abraham is challenged, you know, his children by Egypt. Um, then they're challenged by Assyria, by Babylon, by Persia, by the Greco-Roman world. Uh, so Greece and Rome. And that's that's six empires right there. And so people go, okay, these are the seven heads. Six of them are these, and the seventh one we're about to find out. And so, so these heads of the dragon represent uh, imperial systems that have risen on the world stage with the specific mission of targeting the work of God and targeting Israel. Uh, for instance, you know, the Greeks uh, this, the, the decided to darken the, the, the temple and, and confuse the worship and Hellenize the temple. And that led to the rededication of the temple, um, which is called Hanukkah. But then the Romans came and they actually destroyed the temple and they destroyed it on the very day that the Babylonians had destroyed it in the Hebrew calendar. Five centuries apart, the Babylonians and the Romans destroyed the temple on the same day, the ninth day of the month of Av. So the idea is that there are these forces that press in, but seven empires specifically are singled out by Scripture. And these are the seven heads of the dragon. Now, the ten horns represent leaders like, like you know, they represent the military might. And the, and the scepter of rule. So out of these seven empires, 10 specific leaders, 10 specific kings are singled out to be the object of prophecy and God's judgment. All right. Uh, the, the, the Battle of Armageddon, we've got to get to, we've got to get to that before uh, we finish here. Obviously, that is crucial. That is central to the story, right? The Battle of Armageddon. Yes, it's a climax of of the judgments uh, of the Bible. It's a it's a physical location, um, you know, north of Jerusalem, but it's also a uh, a symbol of the spiritual war, the cosmic war, um, and this whole you know empire system that that Satan wants to build, you know over the human race and control it and mark people and chip people and all of that, it culminates in a great moment of judgment. And the same way that the that the sea you know opened up and swallowed up the armies of Pharaoh, Armageddon is in a way the equivalent judgment um, as, as the story of the parting of the sea. Uh, God said that he would not destroy the world by water, but by fire. And so it looks like he's going to come with some firepower 
and there are many passages that describe this. It's the final great battle where God and his angels from heaven show up with their chariots, it says. And these guys that are on the earth, these angelic forces and the humans that will be with them, there'll be many humans that will take on the side of Satan. And 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 there'll be humans that are that are waiting more to be delivered by God, so they don't take a side in that sense. But this is the climax of this series of seals and trumpets, these judgments that begin over this this kingdom. And you know, the seven seals begin when Jesus receives the authority and power from God, and he is found worthy to now begin the system of judgment that will destroy the evil, destroy the empire, and rescue the human race and redeem it. So it's a climax of all of this is the great battle of Armageddon. Okay, so and that leads into this question uh, from our live chat on YouTube. Andrew Boyle asks, why, why does Satan continue his destruction of man when he knows God's prophecy? Great question. In other words, Satan, you know, must know, even Satan can, can quote scripture, he must know that he loses at Armageddon, doesn't he? Yeah. So um, I think that that uh, God used strategy with Jesus. God sealed the prophecies of the Old Testament that had to do with the idea that the blood sacrifice of of the Lord would provide an atonement for the people of the earth. Um, he he hid that from Satan. So Satan thought, um, by killing you know the Messiah, the King, I'm going to continue to have an empire forever because the guy who is going to inherit this is done. Um, and when he destroyed the Lord, um, the Lord came back to life, and then, you know, Satan realized, ah, all of these passages came to life not only for the Jewish people, but also for the angels, and they understood the mystery of atonement that was, you know, hidden in plain sight by the power of God. And so at that point, I think you're right. He thought, I'm done. Now I see everything is lost. So what scripture says, first of all, is that he's going to do his worst because he knows his time is short. It says that in the book of Revelation. So so there's a bit of a vindictiveness, it ah, seems here. I see, yeah. A, a kind of a rebellion against the judgment of God. And there's this idea of prolonging the empire. For instance, if the Jews are coming back to the land and that's the fulfillment of prophecy, well, let's have a holocaust. Let's stop that process. If they've come back to the land, let's try to gather all the nations of the earth against them um, because we don't want this picture where the Jewish people, the Messiah and the land, once they're connected together, the peace on earth arrives. That's what the prophets tell us. So Satan's trying to prolong his empire by sabotaging the conditions that fulfill the prophecies of God. What is uh, or who is what or who, I suppose, is the great whore? Um, so I think that the great whore of Babylon, you see, when you when you, you mentioned the throne of Satan in, in Pergamum, excuse me, Asia Minor. But when you kind of go, well, who was Zeus? Well, Zeus is the Greek word for Marduk. He was that was the Babylonian name of Zeus, Marduk. And the cult of Marduk was in the city of Babylon where the great ziggurat existed. And before that, his name was Enlil, and, and there was another Mesopotamian town from where Enlil ruled, and, and all the kings of Mesopotamia went there to receive the blessing from the priests of Enlil before they took the throne. So I think that it she is really this occult competing religion that poured into the nations. It has ta taken many shapes and many names, 
But ultimately, there's only two religions, if you will, the one that comes from the dark side and the biblical faith. I mean, I'm sorry to say that, but if I'm to present this information accurately and correctly, this is where the conclusion takes us to, you know, humans of all kinds, there's good, bad and ugly among all of us. It's not about, you know, nations and people. It's about just this belief systems coming from these mysterious beings that we're all supposed to worship the gods. Well, who, who, who for a moment, you know, we should just take it, take some time out to figure out who's who and what's what. Uh, and question anything and everybody. So from, I think the mystery Babylon represents this alternative system of thought, of belief, of religion that points the world to this, to these spiritual forces with Satan at the helm, and competes with the revelation and word of God that has come through the prophets of Israel, through His Son, and through the Holy Spirit. All right, Ali. We'll take one final time out. Come back. We'll uh, just keep you till the bottom of the hour. And then uh, open lines after that. We'll do uh, Ask Me Anything. But for now, we continue to uh, delve into the book of Revelation. Ali Siadatan stays with us. Get your comments and questions ready. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. All right. A few minutes remain with Ali Siadatan, and then uh, the last two segments of the program, Ask Me Anything. Uh, so, the uh, the whore of Babylon, the judgment on Babylon. So, the judgment will be, uh, and Babylon, I guess, will be the, 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 final, the final empire, the Antichrist system. Is that correct? It's the religion of it. Ah, it's the... It's the spiritual part of it, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. St. Michael asks, what is the significance of the three secrets of Fatima, and why, and why is the third secret hidden? Um, well, I think that's, that's, you know, a revelation from the Queen of Heaven. Uh, so... You know, in in my angelology, the Queen of Heaven is not really, you know, the the mother of Jesus, uh, but she's an ancient, uh, you know, angel who's mentioned also in the book of Jeremiah as something that the Jewish people are worshiping and they should not be. And before, you know, the book of Jeremiah, she has a long career in Mesopotamia. Inanna is her original title, and she likes that title, Queen of Heaven. So. I, I don't know if I can really comment on it. It's not a question that's from the Bible. I think that's best asked from, you know, a Catholic uh, specialist. Um, and, and I'm not even sure if it's a revelation we can even trust, you know. All right. So uh, part three of Revelation. Heaven is once again opened in the thousand years of, you know, Christ's kingdom on earth. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. So he of Armageddon, and then God defeats the force of evil. It's kind of like, imagine the Nazis have taken over the world. 
and then God comes and defeats the Nazis and frees the earth. The cavalry arrives. It's got a happy ending. We are kind of at the end of a bitter time of history. You know, the second coming in the Bible is actually called the Day of the Lord, which assumes we are living in the night of history right now. And so the day is about to dawn on us. And, and in some ways, it has begun at the resurrection. And then he goes to God and he sends the Holy Spirit and all the nations come to know him and these spiritual forces weaken. But then there's a final empire which occurs during a time where the Jews are once again a nation in the land of Israel, which is what we've seen in our in the 20th century. And this final empire is then defeated by the second coming of Christ and the establishing of a 1,000-year rule. Uh, where um, every passage in the Bible that describes this 1,000 year, it's very um, idyllic. Uh, even even things that are natural predators are living in harmony together. And um, there is justice and peace on the earth. Um, and the laws and rules of God's uh, you know kingdom uh, are what the government functions around. So, Things that are revealed perhaps in the books of Moses, you know, form, form the basis of the rule of government. Everyone who has believed in Jesus for the past 2,000 years is brought back to life, or if they're already alive, great. Uh, they're given a new body, uh, which is a body like the one he had when he came back from the dead. And not only is it a, a body that's able to be sustained eternally, but also it is one that naturally functions um, in cooperation with the kingdoms, with God's ways. And it's not like the body we have today that even though in our hearts we want to walk one way, we tend to kind of walk in a different way. We don't have that conflict, so it's a new body. And um, the people who receive this new body are given authority. And it, it, the book of the books of the of prophecy of the Bible tell us that the people that survive the apocalypse, you know, enter into this kingdom, but they're not regenerated because they never came to faith in the life that they had here. And so they continue to live long lives, but they continue to live and die, and they can also sin. And there's several passages in the Bible that point to this, and that's what we see after this great Sabbath of history, uh, where, which lasts a thousand years. And by the way, even before the flood, no one lives a thousand years. So a thousand years is symbolic of something significant, of something that's restored. Uh, and it seems to actually be long enough to, to be a day in, cosmic, in the cosmic calendar, you know, not just the human calendar, but in the calendar of God and angels, it seems a thousand years qualifies as a day. So, so there is something significant. There's a time of peace and rulership, but it, Satan is released after a thousand years, and he does tap into this sinful nature, it seems, of, of the humans that continue to live but have not been regenerated, and he mounts a final rebellion to take back the kingdom from Jesus. It's like a final test for humanity, like the, like the way that you would test gold in the fire. Um, and they, here, God himself arrives, the Father, and he arrives in this thing, which is our final destination, called the heavenly Jerusalem. Um, and it is, um, I don't know if it's a cube, because when you kind of, come reminds me of the Borg ship, um, when you kind of look at the, the um, measurements of this heavenly temple, the temple at the at, at the center of time and space where God himself dwells and seems to be a, a moving object, we then ascend into that temple. Everyone who's ever lived is brought back to life. 
and and judged in front of the throne of God. Those whose names are not written in the book of life are, you know, apparently destroyed. And everybody else joins this the people who were already rejuvenated and resurrected at the first coming, at the, well, the second coming, and joins them and enters into the heavenly Jerusalem where we meet God face to face, which is a sign of great intimacy. We're given names, which are functions that we're going to have in this universe, and we then resume our original uh, purpose for which Adam was created to bring the instructions of God into the universe, into creation, to govern over the angels, and to serve um, uh, under God and the Messiah. Uh, the earth is the incubation chamber of the immortal children of God. And so what happens to the planet? Does it continue or? No. It says that there's going to be, it says in, 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 the, in the book of Isaiah and the book of Revelation at this point takes on that theme that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So what, you know, it, it does say there's going to be a new earth as well. So there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and, and the corruption, um, you know, is, 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 is done away with. And the people who receive Jesus today, in a way, they are the beginnings of this new creation that finally finds its culmination a thousand years after the coming of Christ. That's when it really blossoms and we get the new heaven and new earth and we enter into this temple uh, at the heart of time and space and sit in the presence of God himself. So... Two things. Number one, how do we, how are we certain that what John was writing about was not our future, but what was happening? Because again, uh, you know, the world, the ancient world, was in the midst of war at this time. Um, the, uh, the the Christians were being exiled. Uh, you had the Roman emperors, it was the, I guess, the Flavian, Flavian dynasty and so forth. How do we know that when he was talking about Antichrist and Babylon, he wasn't referring to his own time, Rome? Well, well, you know, he was, because when you look at uh, kind of a pattern of uh, among the Hebrew prophets, because John was a Hebrew prophet, is that in the Greek thinking, we think more in a linear way, like every prophecy has a specific fulfillment. And then we argue, go, no, this prophecy was fulfilled here. No, this prophecy was fulfilled there. But the Hebrew prophetic scriptures are actually written in a system of spiral pattern, like kind of like the horns of, of a ram or something where it spirals, um, where it, it actually, you know, addresses needs um, of the lifetime of the prophet, that's where it begins. Like if God tells Ezekiel, you're going to go back to this land, is because Ezekiel lives in exile. Sure, this prophecy applies to today's uh, return to the land as well, but when it was spoken to Ezekiel, it actually addressed his immediate concerns. So these prophecies address the immediate concerns of John and, and the early church and this great persecution, Rome and all that stuff. They begin there, but then they spiral in a system of pattern into what has now taken 2,000 years since Jesus hasn't really returned yet and his kingdom on earth hasn't been established. 
And then they have a final climactic fulfillment that then closes the matter. That is the pattern of how Hebrew prophecy works throughout the Bible. Like when God says to Israel, out of Egypt I called my son, there's nothing in that passage that would tell you that's anything other than Israel. But then Matthew says, no, this was also about Jesus. So it was a pattern. It had a double meaning. And so this is kind of how, you know, it all works. Uh, in, in So yes, it addresses that uh, at the time of, of John, but it also addresses uh, the the tayamim, the end times, uh, the climax of the age, the end of one season of history and the birth of the next season of history, it really focuses a lot of its firepower there in this spiral form of, of how Hebrew prophecy works. As far as Rome is concerned, we I, don't be so sure that we are not still living under Rome. Um, we, you know, you look at like the, you know, the American system of, of the Senate, uh, the president, um, and the, the, the architecture uh, of the Capitol Hill and of many of the structures in Washington, they are on purpose designed to look Roman. Um, when we see, you know, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, um, you know, he said the once, I heard him once say that, you know, God does to Israel, um, you know, whatever you do to Israel, God does to you. If you bless Israel, God will bless you. If you curse Israel, God will curse you. And he said in Rome, destroyed Jerusalem. All right, and I've got to I've got to jump in here because we're we're out of time, Ali. So uh, we're still in Rome. We're still in Rome. That's the summary. Okay. You mentioned yeah. Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. Actually, he'll be joining me on uh, Coast to Coast uh, this coming Friday night. Now, your uh, web series, your uh, on Zoom on Revelation. Give us the details very quickly one more time. Go to thinkagainproductions.com and email me, uh, and I will send you the details. Thinkagainproductions.com every uh, Thursday beginning next week for seven weeks, 17 minutes each. Ali, terrific job. Thank you so much. You're welcome. 17 minutes, but thank you. Ah, Ali Siadatan. All right, open lines. When we come back, ask me anything. Stay with us. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740 Keeping an eye on the new world order This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. All right, welcome back. Open lines now until the top of the hour, and uh, you can ask me anything, or you can just comment maybe on a previous show you've heard. Maybe you have a, a suggestion for an upcoming show. And speaking of upcoming shows, let me just give you some programming notes because uh, there's some things going on you need to know about. Um, next week on the program, Don Jeffries. Uh, he's been with us a number of times in the past, and uh, his um, book, which is a, a really um, a landmark book, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 uh, to 1963, he, uh, that book is now being released in paperback this month. So Don Jeffries returns to the program next week for the full two hours and we'll uh, go back 
and revisit crimes and cover-ups in American politics, 1776 to 1963. That's for the full uh, two hours, by the way. And uh, I want to give you a heads up also uh, that I am um, heading off to Greece um, on Monday, the 11th. And some of these, they're all, we're going to continue to deliver brand new shows to you while I'm away. We're bringing in a few uh, guest hosts, including the aforementioned Don Jeffries. And Don will be uh, not only my guest next week on the program, but then on October the 24th, Don will be guest hosting live from Virginia. And uh, his guest will be Janet Phelan. Then... Uh, let's see, October 31st, the guest host will be our previous guest tonight, Ali Siadatan. And uh, let me see if I have that book here. Hang on. Oh, yeah, here it is. Uh, he's going to be interviewing, I believe we have this, I don't know if it's 100% confirmed, but Donna Howell and Ali Henson. Uh, the book is Dark Covenant, How the Masses Are Being Groomed to Embrace the Unthinkable While the Leaders of Organized Religion Make a deal with the devil. Let me just hold that up. Can you see that? All right. All right. That's uh, Ali Siadatan guest hosting on October the 31st. And um, then, so I'll be in Greece until mid-November. Uh, but I'll also be pre-recording uh, some some shows while I'm there. And uh, because of the time difference, it's like seven, was it, seven hours different. Anyway, all new shows coming up right until the end of November and uh, and beyond. But uh, some guest hosts, Don Jeffries, Ali Siadatan, and uh, who else do we have? We're, we're working on a show with uh, Thomas Horn. He's got a book out, a new one. Uh, Zeitgeist 2025, Countdown to the Secret Destiny of America. So we hope to get Thomas Horn on at some point in November. And uh, I think you heard me mention J.J. French, Founding member of uh, Twisted Sister, who uh, was with me on Coast to Coast last week. And uh, he's got a new biz memoir, he calls it. Half memoir, half business manual, if you will. A lot of uh, great life lessons in there. So JJ will be on the program, on this program, uh, coming up in November as well. All right, that's a, a look ahead for The Conspiracy Show. Let's say hi to... Uh, Tony in my hometown of Brantford, Ontario. Hey, Tony, how are you? I'm um, very good, Richard. Yourself? Very well, thank you. Okay, good. By the way, it's Brampton, not Brantford. Sorry about that. Ah, no worries. Brampton. All right. By the way, I love Strange Planet and love your Richard Serrett show on 960 also. Oh, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Hey, so I have a quick comment regarding the um, the White Horseman. Yes. I believe, just from my own sort of personal studies, that he's actually riding. And that uh, the white part of the horseman represent, represents, I guess, the medical community and big pharma, and the whole medical tyranny represents the white horse. Then we've got the crown, which in Latin is probably also known as the corona, the crown. So he's riding on a white horse, the medical community. He's had this crown. And what I've always found perplexing was the, the bull without the arrow. And then a friend of mine was doing the same sort of research, and he looked up in the Strong's Concordance and discovered that uh, the bow is not an actual bow and arrow, but the bow 
references a simple cloth. That's what Strong's Concordance says about the bull, that he conquers with a simple cloth, which could almost represent the mask of what's going on today, the masking. So I just a wanted simple to put that cloth. Out there. Oh, interesting. It's not a bow. It's a cloth. It's a simple cloth. That's what Strong Concordance says. And the reference uh-huh. to that is five one one five. If you look up Strong's Concordance, it'll look. It'll it'll reference the bow in the Book of Revelation, and it referred to the bow as not a bow and arrow, but just as a simple cloth. So he's got the crown, the corona. He's white, riding the white horse, which represents the whole medical community. And lastly, that simple cloth is the bow. So wow. I believe the white horseman is riding, and the next horseman is going to be the, I guess, the, the red horseman, the horseman of war, and we know that China and Taiwan are having some issues right now. Indeed, indeed. Wow. Well, that's pretty chilling, Tony. Um, great work connecting those dots. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Calling from Brampton, not Brantford. All right, we'll take a quick time out. We'll get to uh, our good pal Skip from Connecticut, and uh, we have some people lining up at the live chat with questions as well. Open lines and ask me anything as uh, we wrap up last phone, uh, last call to the phones on the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio. To get the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, open lines, ask me anything. Let's go to the phones. And Skip is joining us from Connecticut. Hey, Skip. Sure, yeah, hope you have a great time coming up in uh, Greece with the weather. It should be warmer, but... Uh... <laughs> Two thoughts on Revelation. One would be it somewhat contradicts Paul's letters to me uh, because it's depicting people that are following either a beast system or one big individual. And like Paul says in one of his letters, he says, be strong in the Lord, which means you've cultivated your own identity in the Lord, that, that, you know, close relationships, and you would be able to withstand these outer pressures from that. And so I see that as kind of a contradiction. In other words, it's making the people in the book of Revelation look like sheep, basically. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And my other thing that I thought was was uh, kind of interesting, it says, and I believe chapter 3, that uh, it talks about, it says to one church, now this is talking to people in a church, not outside the church, it's saying, repent or I will kill thee with death. So it's showing like another side of the Lord, and uh, if you look at it's almost like giving notice. Like, for example, in the book of Jonah, uh, the jo- 
Nineveh was given notice through Jonah, you know, the Lord's going to destroy you if you don't repent in, 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 in X amount of days, quite soon. And they did repent. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah, it doesn't look like they were given the warning from the depictions of that. Although Lot's wife was given a warning, don't look back. And she didn't know the consequences would be that she'd be turned into a pillar of salt. So you do wonder if, like, people, at, at least they're given the favor of being put on notice. You know, repent or else. So that's another aspect I think that's interesting to, to Revelation. You know, maybe you're given notice. You know, you, you better change or else. You know, Skip. Give one Great. warning, you know. Right, right. Great insights as always. Thanks for the call. Have a good morning. All right. Uh, let's go to the YouTube live chat. And Craig asks, uh, do my views on extraterrestrials conflict with my views on the Bible? That's a great question. Uh, well, my views on extraterrestrials are that the, the, the best way that the ET phenomenon uh fits into the biblical narrative is that they are interdimensionals and so they are from the angelic realm that's what i believe so if we're if we're talking about the angelic realm we're talking about fallen angels and we're talking about you know god's messengers that's how i perceive the um the uh the the et ufo phenomenon it's not particularly a popular uh, point of view in um, in the ufo community, if I can use that term, but that's the way I look at it. I mean, it has to fit for me. It has to square in the biblical narrative. It, it, they're not just some, you know, uh, extraterrestrial interlopers. Everything that happens here has to fit into the narrative, and if it doesn't, um, well, it has to. I mean, that's that's just what I believe. Um, now, the uh, the Roman Catholic Church says that it's there's nothing... Um, there's nothing in the Bible that precludes the existence of other extraterrestrial civilizations and that they are all part of God's creation. So that's another way of looking at it, I suppose. Put it this way. If we ever get disclosure, um, UFO disclosure, or if the extraterrestrials or interdimensionals, whatever you want to call them, make their, their themselves known to all of us, uh, it's not gonna. It's not gonna change my my faith. It's not gonna change my point of view, and my my faith in the Bible. All right. I hope Craig that answers your question. Uh, Roger Vega asks: November twenty second is coming up. How? Uh, who do you have lined up for a JFK show? Uh, also says it's sad that Jim Mars isn't around. Uh, very true. How long has it been since Jim passed away? Four or five years, maybe. Uh, well, I guess Jim DiEugenio is, um, is is just done some terrific work. And I had Jim, uh, I think I had Jim on this program a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Brian, do you remember when we had Jim DiEugenio? He had just uh, announced a new this new documentary um, that he basically wrote. It's based on his research, and it was directed by, and I guess produced by, um, Oliver Stone. So it's. Uh, I guess we. I guess we have to do something on November twenty second. Let me see. Does the show actually land on the twenty second this year? I don't think it does. Uh, for, oh, the twenty first. 
it lands on the 21st. So I don't have anyone lined up yet, but we probably should do something. This will be, what, 58 years. Uh, you know, and people just are, are not tired of it. They just want to hear more and more and more about it. So if you have any suggestions who you'd like to hear on a, uh, a special JFK show on November the 21st into the 22nd, just um, contact me through the, the website, strangeplanet.ca, and let me know. Jim D. Eugenio, it could be Jim or it could be someone else. Uh, let's see, who do we have here? Show me the truth 74. Richard, who or what influenced your desire to spread the word? Uh, when you say spread the word, I'm, I guess you mean what, the gospel or, or some other truth? I'm not sure what, what exactly you mean. Uh, I Spread the word. Well, um, I bring people on who talk about the Bible from time to time and biblical prophecy, but I don't see my role on this show, aside from providing a platform from time to time to, to people to, to, uh, to talk about biblical prophecy and so forth. But I, you know, I, I don't want to proselytize on the air, but I do, you know, confess my faith and, and uh, make that known because for some, I mean, that's a bias, right? This is my bias. I lay it on the table. But um, it's not part of orthodoxy uh, to, you know, to proselytize. We don't go knocking on doors and handing out pamphlets or standing on street corners with, uh, you know, placards and sandwich boards and, and um, hollering out biblical verses and so forth. All right. Uh, let's see. Do we have anyone else in the... Uh that about covers it in the YouTube live chat for now. Uh, we have one more. Oh, Toxic Canadian. Toxic Canadian. Uh, oh, who are some... Oh, this is a good one. Who are some guests you have not been able to interview? Who would you absolutely love to interview? Oh, that's a great question, Toxic Canadian. You know, I was thinking the other day because um, I had Lisa Peace on the program and... Um, on Coast to Coast, actually, and I had her on my podcast, and, and uh, she's a, uh, a Bobby Kennedy uh, assassination researcher, and she was instrumental in getting Bobby Jr., Robert Kennedy uh, Jr., uh, to meet with Sirhan Sirhan in prison, the supposed gunman, and um, then recently we had a parole hearing. And Sirhan Sirhan, according to the uh, the advice of the parole board, they are they are suggesting that he be released after over fifty years in prison. Still has to be approved by the governor, um, but it, it's quite possible Sirhan Sirhan would be released. And I'm sure when he gets out, he never wants to talk about it again and would and doesn't want to be bothered, uh, which you know I would respect. But I would love to talk to Sirhan Sirhan. On this program, and I would love to interview uh, Bobby Kennedy. All right, uh, let's see who do we have next. John Dooley. John Dooley can't get coast to coast AM in Scarborough and is looking for some suggestions. I get this question a lot. So, as far as I know, uh, and incidentally, a coast to coast I'll be hosting uh, next Friday and Saturday. The uh, the seventh is that the seventh and eighth or eighth and ninth anyway. Friday and Saturday on coast. There are no stations in Ontario, 
carrying coast to coast anymore. There is a station in New York. Don't know if you can pull it in on your uh, on your terrestrial radio. Um, what I suggest people do is go to coasttocoastam.com, the website, and uh, you can find somewhere on there. I think it's under media in the menu bar and then local stations, media, local stations. Find any affiliate that is also located on your mobile device on, on uh, Simple Radio. Download the Simple Radio app on your phone or on your tablet and then look for one of those Coast affiliates. I listen to uh, Coast now on the phone at night uh, on a station out of Kentucky. I believe it's uh, WKCT, WKTC or WKCT. Anyway, that's the best thing. you got to listen. Until a station on Ontario picks up Coast, uh, you've got to listen on an app or stream it from one of the uh, affiliates on their website. All right, John, hope that helps. Uh, great questions, great comments. Thank you all. All right, back uh, next week with uh, Don Jeffries, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics for the full two hours. Hope you'll be along for that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.